This is Mercy Harper, writer for research services at APQC. And this is Megan McCulloch, APQC's research analyst for financial management. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe to APQC podcasts on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Today, we're here with Robert Bendetti, CFO and Senior VP at Lifecycle Engineering, to talk about the shift to remote and hybrid work within the finance function. Welcome to the podcast, Robert. Hello. Thank you for having me on. So at APQC, we surveyed over 300 finance professionals to learn about the focus areas, initiatives, and challenges they expect for this year. One of the top focus areas that came up was the transition to remote and hybrid work within the function. So we wanted to get Robert back on the podcast to give us his thoughts. So Robert, last time we had you on, you talked about recognizing the value of remote work, and you pointed to the advantages in terms of cost savings and hiring. So I'm wondering if your perspective on remote and hybrid work has changed at all since we last talked about six months ago. It has only grown. I really have embraced it. I think that this, these flexible schedules and flexible work site is a great new tool for all of us to be able to use. And I was not always that way. I used to be a persecutor of this concept, and now I am a promoter. It has been a wild swing. I used to say, if when people brought it up at this company and previous companies that wanted to offer remote and flex, I thought, you know, people who want to work remote don't care about their career. They're lazy, they're losers, and they just want to watch Netflix. And now I see that engagement is up efficiency is up, cost savings can be realized, we're applicable. So there are some roles. If you make widgets and the widget making machine is in Kansas, you got to be in Kansas to make the widgets. But we're applicable and we're available. The idea of flexible schedule and remote work, I think, has real value. There's still some resistance from some seasoned executives that I know in different industries. And I enjoy listening and and hearing their comments. But as for me, I think that it's a great tool and a great asset benefit as a leader, as a hirer, as someone who's trying to engage a team. I think it's fantastic. And I'm now glad my eyes have been opened to this great opportunity. That's really wonderful to hear, Robert. We're, we're kind of seeing a similar trend in, in our finance members as well, that they're embracing the remote work. So we asked our, our, our survey respondents, you know, why, why is finance making the transition to remote? And we were surprised to see that 45% of them pointed to increased collaboration when working remotely. What do you think is behind that? And in your experience, does it ring true? It does. And I think in three ways, it can increase that collaboration, that this remote working can increase collaboration. One is I think that it's more inclusive. That one, more people are able to participate if you're having a virtual meeting. You can invite more people. You don't have a space requirement. You don't have to worry about, oh, it's difficult to manage people's calendars. Oh, we can't get so-and-so in from out of state. No, anybody from anywhere more people can participate, so it's more inclusive. Number two, introverts are heard. 
in a virtual meeting, it's somehow more obvious that Robert, Jessica, Mercy, they, you know, they, they haven't spoken and they're, they're so valuable. They have such a key input. We need to call on them. And, and number two, an introvert might be more apt to just hit the, I have my hand raised button. And as a facilitator, oh my gosh, Roberts has his hand raised. Mercy's had her hand raised. Let's pause for just a second, seek some input. You know, I'm an extrovert. I'm going to interrupt. I'm going to speak loud, especially if we're in person. I physically emote and I'll stand and I'm passionate and it can make introverts feel uncomfortable. Like nobody wants to go after Robert. Holy cow. Like I just had a quick comment. That guy has just sucked the air out of the room. And I'm not even saying I'm a great speaker. It's just, it's so much like I'm, I'm dialed to 11 that it. I think scares away some introverts. So number one, I think that there is some more inclusivity and uh, because more people participating in introverts get heard with virtual. Number two, I think that it's more frequent. I have more frequent tag up huddles, quick catch ups virtually because I can pop off and on a virtual meeting. People can pop on and off. If a meeting gets canceled and I have to pivot to something else, super easy, super efficient in a virtual world. I didn't travel somewhere. I didn't walk, you know, up a bunch of flights of stairs to go to a meeting. So I think they can be more, more frequent. Ease of setting up a meeting and the calendar accuracy is so high now that we are remote. I think that that is a increased collaboration. And then lastly, I think it's more efficient when you're having a meeting using these digital whiteboards to identify action items that then therefore are already typed and they don't need to be retyped. You have immediate access or the tools automatically create to-dos with next steps, with dates that then therefore create calendar reminders for all participants. It is an amazing efficiency uh, tool. It's a, it's a, it's the tool itself is like a force multiplier. And so I, it completely rings true to me. That's, that's a really, that's really cool to hear. And I have kind of a follow-up question for you on that, Robert. Um, have you found it equally, equally beneficial in communicating with non-finance stakeholders, people who might need a little bit of help understanding, you know, getting that translation from you, you know, what do these numbers mean? When you're doing that remotely, is it is it easier or is it more difficult? I think I'm I am able to have more frequent communication to maybe a more broad audience. So normally I would once a year go around to all the offices and I try to have open book management and try to communicate some really key indicators to people. And in a setting that's over lunch, I probably can handle three key indicators. That's about as much as anybody's going to absorb. And then I have, you know, Q&A. But in a virtual world, I can have quarterly huddles with all the leadership and people can participate more frequently. And then I can record it. And so then you can pull it on demand. And if you, hey, I'm sorry, I missed your call. I was on the phone with a client getting a purchase order, right answer. Then you can just watch it later or listen to it later while you're going on a jog or walking on the treadmill. So I... I think that even though there is an absolute place and it's, it's important to do both and I still need to do the annual, what a great compliment now that I'm more comfortable and people are more comfortable using these, uh, these digital, these collaborative tools. 
Awesome. So I wanna shift over to another trend that we see in the transition to remote and hybrid, which is cloud-based accounting. Um, I know that there's a lot of options out there. So what capabilities would you recommend that uh, organizations look for? I probably have maybe three to five key checklist items when looking at cloud-based anything, but certainly cloud-based accounting as you're thinking about going from on-prem to cloud. I, I think number one benefit and something to consider is usually there's lower upfront costs, which is a plus and more flexible pricing if you're a very fast growing organization. But in total, the life cycle costs are probably higher. So you just need to kind of do a quick analysis that it can be very, very attractive, but there is a cost difference. And that lower upfront cost, that flexible pricing, they're doing that for a reason because they lock you in and they have your data and they're housing it and then they're gonna charge you forever. So just worth doing the analysis and sharing with the leaders of the organization that difference. Uh, but then there are benefits uh, and those benefits include, or things to check, I think include that, uh, are these tools now a better fit for your global organization or your remote organization? And they will be. Number two is very often a cloud-based tool should be and will be have much greater uptime and availability near 100%. Because instead of having a handful of servers, sure virtualized, maybe you have some backups at a remote site, but if it's still on-prem, you know, 99% is great. Well, it should be 100% if it's cloud-based and near zero downtime, which matters with if the 1% is when you're giving a presentation to the board. So uh, I think that can be a key and needs to be a key and the, the tool that you're looking at needs to be able to prove that they can handle 100% uptime and availability. I think that scalability is a great benefit of a cloud-based tool as you grow from 10 to 20 to 200 to 5,000 users, that that's completely scalable and flexible. That scalability, I think, is amazing. Oftentimes, those cloud-based tools also will allow you to scale not only into just user license, but into different modules, in and out of modules. And I find that of a, a, a great benefit. And then security is usually really strong with these tools. You know, your IT department uh, might have some limitations or the financial software system that you're using might have some limitations. And those are very often erased, improved, eradicated with a cloud-based tool. They're going to use global best practices with security. And I'll give you an example what I mean with the software itself. It's, there's, there's a very, very common, the most common small business financial software in America, at least, is very easy to use, very inexpensive. You can have it on-prem or cloud-based, but that software system has really terrible security and you can delete journal entries and you can delete transactions from the history of your digital record, which is crazy, on the on-prem version. And you can't do it on their cloud-based version, their enterprise version, that's cloud-based or any cloud-based system. You know, no single person could delete a journal entry or delete a transaction from the data record. And that's really important because if somebody figured that out and they wanted to be nefarious, deleting journal entries and deleting transactions from your financial record would be really high up on their list uh, of their nefarious activities checklist. 
so Robert, do you think the movement towards digital finance and virtual offices might encourage some organizations to explore opportunities to offshores, offshore or outsource aspects of F&A or even shared services? And if so, give us some advantages, disadvantages or opportunities in risk that they should weigh out. Yes, but I want to tweak this question a little bit. I'm going to answer, I'm going to be like a politician and I'm going to answer it in a way of what I really want to talk about, which is even more so, I think that not only digital finance, but RPA, machine learning, AI will dramatically change finance and accounting. That all of that, that entire umbrella of what we are emerging into from you know, kind of uh, accounting 3.0 to accounting 4.0, that will dramatically change finance and accounting. There will be fewer bookkeepers and data entry clerks, and there will be more data scientists and process automation analysts. So if you're an accounting professional and you're getting your undergraduate in accounting, you're gonna get a master's degree so you can sit for the CPA exam. I think that's fantastic but you need to get a minor in data analytics or computer science or a dual major so that you can really stand out because as part of this four, accounting 4.0, business 4.0 transformation, that the talents, if you are talent with these critical skill sets, this, this critical experience, then you can live anywhere and you can compete globally because that's what's about to happen that any company in America could hire a CFO, a controller, an accounting manager from anywhere. So you need to be able to compete globally and you're gonna have to have these next level tool sets. Journal entries aren't enough, a nice personality isn't enough. Uh, you're not, you're gonna need to not, not just interact with these tools, but you're gonna be have to really turn this data into information, actionable information. And so those, those, that kind of data science tool set, that process automation tool sets, those are the things that I think will take you to the next level and be, start showing up on VP of finance job descriptions, CFO job descriptions in the next one to five years. And that makes a lot of sense and definitely is aligned with what we're hearing both from uh, young finance talent and people who are looking to hire young finance talent. They want those data analytics skills and those computer science even uh, skills to be part of the picture. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Robert. Always a pleasure. Thank you. Once again, I'm Mercy Harper. And I'm Megan McCulloch. Thanks for joining us for this APQC podcast. Please go to apqc.org to learn more about our research and we hope you have a great rest of your day. Mm -hmm.